Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A lot of things to unpack here, as we always do. Every Tuesday, every Thursday, the hard count is live in living color. The people's show. Everything that you and I love and love about this beautiful game. We talk about it here every single day. But like I said, live twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're so glad to have you part of this. True freshman quarterbacks. Somebody's probably going to play at some point in time this season. What are the odds that you see a true freshman quarterback playing for your school? Got four names I want to take a closer look at. Arch Manning being one of them. Dante Moore being one of them. Nico Iyamaliava being one of them. Check out the pronunciation on that, too. I'm telling you, man, it's not even fall. We're already killing Nico Iyamaliava in terms of the pronunciation game. Also, put out a Twitter question at J.D. Paquel, and y'all responded in absolute full force. It was a beautiful thing. I said, college football documentary on Netflix, what story do we need to see? And we got a ton of good responses. I think the views on that tweet are somewhere north of 100,000, so thank you for that. The interaction that y'all have allowed us to have here have truly allowed us to be the people show. So again, thank you. I want to give you a couple of titles that we're going to throw out there for potential documentaries. Again, that's at the end of this whole operation. But Netflix, we're going to give you some winning ideas for college football documentaries. And we just want a small portion of the revenue that we can put forth to building this program. All right? That's all we ask. Also, you join the show, again, at my Twitter page, at J.D. Paquel. We're answering your questions, your thoughts, your concerns. It's like college football therapy. They're not playing games right now. That doesn't mean that we still don't have to process things. There aren't still real-world problems going on, real college football world problems going on that we need to unpack together. So Nick Brake, Keeper of the Q, going to join us here in just a little bit to break those down. Fired up to have you a part of this. I listen back to these podcasts afterwards and just kind of try and self-assess, self-scout, if you will. We're, all, we're always trying to get better over here. And I, just, I noticed I say that I'm fired up probably somewhere north of three and a half times a show. And that's not just a filler word. Like, I genuinely love this. Nick Brake and I getting to do this is a privilege and an honor. Okay? So, if you're counting at home, we're probably going to hit the over on Fired Up again because we are fired up to get after it today. Can't waste any more time. Spring football is right around the corner. You're paying dues right now. If you're a college football player with winter conditioning, you're pushing sleds, you probably have some sort of inter-team competition going on. But spring football will be here before you know it. What are the questions that we need answers to? What do we need to address as a college football society as we get closer and closer to the pads coming back on? Got a couple of them for you. One of the key questions I need answers to is what is the state of the Buckeye quarterback race? Some of you at home just said, Ohio. That's funny. I'm with you. But between Devin Brown and Kyle McCord, you have two five stars. I'm not amazing with numbers, but I know you can only have one quarterback playing at a time in Columbus. And conventional wisdom would tell you whoever ends up starting the other, you would assume, again, I don't have inside information here. I am assuming that both those guys feel like they can start somewhere else in the country. So the, the reason why I'm asking what is the state of that race is because typically, based on what Ryan Day has done as a head coach, now he's picked a quarterback, you don't get a starter announced in Columbus until right around fall camp, even if everybody and their mother knows who the starting quarterback is going to be. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you that Justin Fields was going to eventually start for the Buckeyes. C.J. Stroud was going to eventually be QB1. But still, Ryan Day held the cards close to the vest, close to the windbreaker, if you will, and eventually named them the starter in fall camp in the summertime. The reason why this is a little bit of a trickier conversation right now is depending on the state of this race, as a player, you get a feel for where you stand in a position battle. Like, I've been there before. Coach, he's getting 75% of the reps with the ones. He's probably going to be the starter. 
Is that the case in Columbus at some point in time this spring, or is it a matter where it's truly back and forth? Hey, one day it's Kyle McCord with the ones, the next day it's Devin Brown with the ones. The back and forth. Is there a point in this race where one of them kind of gets the message that it might not be my job and they bow out and jump in the portal post-spring? Because again, remember, with the portal windows, if this thing goes into fall camp, like we have seen it go multiple times in Columbus, then neither of them would be able to transfer out. So if you're Ryan Day, you're sitting there saying, maybe you want it to go into fall camp. Maybe you want to hold your cards as long as humanly possible. So you have two five stars on your roster. But again, if either one of those guys gets a sense that they may not start or they may not be QB1 before that portal window closes, what happens next? Again, I do not have any inside information. I'm not telling you Devin Brown's going to transfer. I'm not telling you Kyle McCord's going to transfer. But it does beg the question, whoever doesn't start, what happens to the other guy? You also got to kind of weigh the opportunity cost, right? If I'm Devin Brown and Kyle McCord does get the starting job, is it worth it to wait around? Is it worth it to have one season driving the Ferrari as opposed to maybe transferring somewhere else and still driving a nice car? Maybe you're whipping a Jetta. Maybe you're whipping a, a Honda Civic. Those will get you A to B, but to drive this Ohio State offense, you and I both know, comes with some benefits. Some benefits that usually translate into a pretty high draft pick. So keep an eye on that one. But if either of those guys does jump into the portal at any point in time, five-star caliber quarterback just out there in the transfer portal. That's what that would mean. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying that's a very big domino that could potentially fall depending on the tempo of that race. If you have not yet subscribed, would love to have you a part of this. We talk college football all year round. Supply and demand. Y'all demanding that. We supply it. Big reason why. Also, follow me on the social channels at JD Pakel on Twitter as well as on Instagram. Want to hear from y'all. Another question I want to ask about spring football or maybe a storyline we're tracking as it pertains to spring football. At the time of us being live right now, Notre Dame has not yet hired an offensive coordinator. Now, eventually they will get someone calling plays there in South Bend, Indiana. But the reason why this is a big question is because it's going to impact directly Sam Hartman. And I tweeted it out actually when the Tommy Reese news broke that he was headed to Alabama, former OC for Notre Dame. I said, how much does this impact Sam Hartman? Rather, what does this mean for Sam Hartman? Is there a chance we see Sam Hartman jump into the portal? I don't think it was an unreasonable thought at that point in time because the guy who was supposed to be calling plays for Sam Hartman, the guy that Sam Hartman committed to, decided he was going to take his talents elsewhere. So after having talked to people close to Notre Dame, people close to Sam Hartman, they are saying he is all in on Notre Dame. Let me, let me repeat that. Sam Hartman is not going anywhere. Now you still look at Notre Dame and say, how do you go about hiring your OC position? Because what you have right now is a rare window with a special talent that is Sam Hartman. You got one of the most proven commodities in all of college football, ACC career touchdown pass leader. You got a short window within one season. Got to max it out. You have got to take advantage of this special time that could be Notre Dame football right now, this special time in Notre Dame football, you got to max it out. Do you hire a more pass-centric offensive coordinator, which would be a little bit different than what Notre Dame's been in the past? Do you go with the internal hire and try and keep some continuity of what Tommy Reese had in-house in South Bend? Regardless, it's going to impact Notre Dame, obviously, for the future, but it's going to impact Sam Hartman directly in a heavy way in 2023. So that's a hire I am very intrigued to see how they handle it. Because spring football, again, is getting closer and closer. Marcus Freeman, only been a head coach for all of one season. How does he go about assembling this staff? Or rather, retooling this staff with the departure of Tommy Reese? Going to be very, very fascinating. Now, the Miami Hurricanes are also retooling their staff. Minutes before we went live, Lance Guidry is going to be the new D.C. for the Canes, coming from McNeese State. So, you hire one part of your staff. You hire one coordinator that you're missing. As Kevin Steele went to Alabama, didn't take too long. Mario Cristobal had his guy in the wings. Look to the offensive side of the ball, and you let Josh Gaddis go, but you got to find a way to take advantage of having Tyler Van Dyke for at least another year in Coral Gables. That's crucial. Like, you've seen Tyler Van Dyke has that under the hood. 
coming into 2022, we were talking about, could he be a Heisman candidate? Could he be a first round draft pick when the year is over? Like there was so much buzz around TVD. And I don't believe that his lack of production in 2022 is solely based on him. I think a lot of it was the system. It's unfortunate, but that's kind of the world we're living in right now. So one, can you similar to what we said about Notre Dame, hire somebody to max out the potential of TVD. But even more so, I'm just curious about the roster movement in, in Coral Gables. I mean, essentially what you have now is a brand new staff at two of the most important positions on your staff. And the reality as a player is my role on the football field may have just changed overnight on the defensive side and likely on the offensive side as well. Like, Whoever's calling the plays, Lance Gidry on the defensive side, they can change the entire complexion of Miami football, which maybe isn't such a bad thing, but the roster. Coaches dictate the roster. Coaches dictate who's going to start, who's, who's obviously a second string, third string, all that. Like The role that's going to change for a lot of these players, I'm curious to see how many jump in the portal post-spring. We're not going to see it right now because obviously can't jump in the portal until May 1st, and then closes the 15th. I'm curious to see how they hold this together. People commit to people. They're going to now have to re-recruit a lot of those people to stay with Lance Gidry and to stay with whoever the new OC is. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying conventional wisdom would tell you there will be some roster changes in Miami. So keep an eye on that one. The last spring storyline, and maybe this has been the most visible over the last couple of weeks, the Ole Miss quarterback room. We're going to talk about Netflix documentaries here a little bit later in the show. You could do a real-time Netflix documentary. You could do a reality TV show on the Ole Miss quarterback room. You got Walker Howard, transferred from LSU. You got Spencer Sanders, transferred from Oklahoma State. Played a lot of football, has Spencer Sanders. You got Jackson Dar, who started for you last season and didn't exactly light it up. I think he's still got a lot of ability, does Jackson Dart, but there was some things left to be desired in terms of what he did throwing the football. The reason why this is going to be so tense is because Spencer Sanders has one year left of eligibility. Jackson Dart has two years left. Those are two horses you're likely looking at in this race going toe-to-toe -to -toe for that QB1 spot. Now, let me tell you something. Men lie. Women lie. Your parents' Facebook page, I don't lie. And Jackson Dart's father sent out a not-so-cryptic Facebook post when they were out hunting snow leopards or whatever they were hunting and just basically talked about some people say, some people talk trash during the offseason, to paraphrase, and some people work, was the gist of his Facebook post. So I'm just telling you, this will not be a super cordial battle. And also conventional wisdom would tell you whoever loses this battle between Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders, you would imagine they're probably looking for somewhere else to play. Now, just because you're not good enough to start at Ole Miss, whether you're Spencer Sanders or Jackson Dart or Walker Howard, just because you're not QB1 there doesn't mean you can't still have a phenomenal 2023 somewhere else. And whoever jumps in the portal, if somebody does jump in the portal, again, I'm making an assumption here. Don't know that to be the case. That's my, my assumption the value for that quarterback will be through the roof. From a roster importance, probably NIL will play a factor. I mean, supply will go down. So demand, post-spring practice, likely a lot of people figuring out what they have at quarterback or rather what they don't have at quarterback. So demand goes up. So what do we see value do? Slowly but surely, starts booming post-spring. So... That'll be a very interesting race to watch, but I'm just telling you, the, the juice alone from Jackson Dart's father's Facebook post just added a whole new level of intrigue to this race for me. Too many cooks in the kitchen, man. Same thing we said with Ohio State. Can only have one guy playing quarterback, and they got three good ones in Oxford, Mississippi. So that'll be a fun one to watch. So our spring questions to recap it for you. What is the state of the Buckeye quarterback race? Historically, they've announced in the fall, do we see somebody bow out and maybe read the tea leaves a little bit, maybe read the writing on the wall and say, hey, maybe I'm not getting all the first team reps. Maybe I do need to look somewhere else to play. Because if that happens, it's a very high caliber player in the portal. If they do end up jumping into the portal, what is the impact for Sam Hartman based on who Notre Dame hires as the OC? For Notre Dame, 
You got one year of Sam Hartman. You better make it count. Hiring the OC is a very big part of that. Miami, hiring not one but two new coordinators. They just filled their D.C. position. The O.C. position is yet to be decided upon. But with new coaches, the roster expected to have a little bit of movement post-spring. Keep an eye on that. And then the Ole Miss quarterback room, like I said, reality TV kind of excitement in that room. Walker Howard, Jackson Dar, Spencer Sanders, somebody has got to start. You would assume Jackson Dar and or Spencer Sanders could find themselves in the portal, depending on what happens with Walker Howard. But uh, that'll be exciting. Very excited to watch all those spring questions find answers here in the very near future. But I'm telling you, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Do not blink. That's why, that's why we got you covered over here. I'm telling you. We do not take breaks over here on the hard count. Goat fuel is something that has been thrown out by Lane Kiffin before, and he was referring to Nick, to Nick Saban. And Nick Saban has this quote talking about rat poison. And we all know what rat poison is. Nick Saban says rat poison is essentially stuff thrown out by the media where you're saying good things about his football team. You're saying, wow, Bama can't be B. You're saying Bryce Young can't be stopped. And that seeps into the locker room. And if you buy into that, it ends up, you know, doing what it would do to a rat. It starts to poison you. It starts to decrease your level of play. We find ourselves in an interesting predicament where Alabama won a New Year's Six Bowl game and people are starting to talk about Alabama like they're on the decline. Now, Nick Saban has, at this point in time, retooled his staff with two new coordinators. And it, weren't, it wasn't the, the two names that you would necessarily expect. You hired Tommy Reese from Notre Dame to be the offensive coordinator. You hired Kevin Steele away from Miami to be your D.C., now, these weren't splashy hires on either front. And the best way I could break this down is Nick Saban is doing things his way. And in any walk of life, when you decide to do things your way and tune out the external noise and everybody has an opinion on what you're doing, and you block it all out, you do it your way, there's some added pressure. There's some added pressure with not following the crowd. Nick Saban however, is no stranger to pressure. He's also no stranger to doing things his own way and having a lot of success in doing things his own way. And I would just also say this, smart people, elite people, like the 1% of the one percenters, the Steve Jobs, the Elon Musks, whatever profession you're in, smart people trust their gut and they block out the noise. There's a reason why nobody else is on Nick Saban's level. You don't win seven national championships by doing what other people say, by taking an overwhelming amount of outside advice. You listen to people you trust. I'm sure Nick Saban processed this with his cabinet, more or less. But to the same token, Nick Saban is in his status because he's trusted his gut. He's had elite-level evaluations of both coordinators and players alike. If there is a filter you're going to trust. If there is one person in college football you're going to trust to make decisions for the betterment of not just the sport, but how about your team? It's Nick Saban for me. So I'm trusting Nick Saban right now. When you don't have success, what do you do? You revert back to what has worked in the past. What's worked in the past for Alabama? Running the football? And then Kevin Steele has been a coordinator for him before and had success as well. 2007, he was the D.C., that's what I think they're going to trend towards, being vintage Alabama. And I, don't, I say vintage very lightly, being the version of Alabama that we've seen before, being bully ball Alabama, being physical, control the line of scrimmage Alabama, and letting their players maximize their ability and not, not having to have the coaching staff get in the way. And I don't pretend to be within those meeting rooms or be in that locker room in Tuscaloosa, but it looked like at times from the outside looking in that Alabama, from a coaching staff perspective, kind of got in the way of their five-star talent. It's not a matter of personnel. We've said this multiple times on this program. It is not a matter of ingredients in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You have five-star ingredients. The way it was put together, the recipe, that was where there was something left to be desired. I'm not excusing the players for performance, but I am saying – if you're going to look for blame to be shifted, do you blame the five-star players within that locker room, or do you blame the individuals that are 
putting those five-star players supposedly in position to succeed. So Bama, in my opinion, is reverting back to what they have been, what they've been successful at. Going back to what you know if you're Bama and if you're Saban. If you have not yet subscribed, we'd love to have you a part of this program. I won't ask too much more than that. We'd love to have you here. We talk college football all the time here, every single day, live on Tuesdays, live on Thursdays. Also, feel free to hit me in my DMs on Instagram and on Twitter, at JD Piquel. We'd love to hear from you all there. So, if you don't think that Nick Saban had options in hiring his OC or his DC, that's just wrong. I, I, would, I would venture to say there were people beating down the front door of Nick Saban's house, begging to be one of his coordinators. Like, that is a coveted spot in any profession, especially college football. And there's a lot of people that were upset, and maybe today still upset, that it wasn't Jeremy Pruitt or it wasn't Joe Brady, or it wasn't Brian Johnson. Those are the bigger names. Those are the splashy hires. I would just say comparison is the thief of joy. If you're upset with these hires today, and someone as established as a Kevin Steele, or someone like a Tommy Reese who had success in Notre Dame, who I say did more with less, quite frankly, it's because you're viewing it through the lens of who you could have had. You saw all the hot boards and you saw Glenn Schumann's name from Georgia. Maybe some of you were still on the Cliff Kingsbury train, but we all know these are good hires. These are good hires if you just take the label off of it that it's Alabama. If you take Nick Saban's name off of it, you say, yeah, Tommy Reese, good OC. Kevin Steele, proven, proven DC. Those guys can coach ball. Oh, but maybe Jeremy Pruitt was out there. Ah, uh, bad hire. Uh, but we, we, we could have done better. That's not, that's not the case here, folks. That is not the case. What I would assume is happening, and this is a big assumption, I believe Nick Saban is simplifying the formula. Nick Saban is simplifying the formula in-house in Tuscaloosa, much like we saw Georgia do. Was Georgia running the most complex offense? Were they running the most cutting-edge scheme on defense or the most new mind-bending kind of offense? No. You know what Georgia had, though? Some of the best players in the country, much like Alabama. And they put those players in position to succeed. So for Tommy Reese, like we said, they're going to commit to the run game, they're going to involve some tight ends in the pass game, and they're going to hit play action once you try to creep up on that run game. They're going to be multiple. It's not going to be boring three yards in a cloud of dust football, but you will feel Alabama every single Sunday morning from the day before of what they did on that football field. That will be how they operate offensively. Defensively, Kevin Steele historically runs a 4-2-5 kind of defense. What does that mean? You got five DBs on the field. What does that mean? Like Lightning McQueen says, I am speed. Kachow. That's what it's going to be. Let your athletes, let your five-star players, your ingredients go to work. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't get in your own way if you're the coaching staff. You develop to the nth degree. You prepare to the nth degree. And you allow them to play to their strengths as a football team. Let those big boys up front. Let them meet on the offensive and defensive side. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I truly believe that. Now, here's the two outcomes that we have after this season. You got one crowd over here just waiting with bated breath for Nick Saban and Alabama to lose two games. And you and I both know this. Two games, having lost two games, doesn't make you a failure of a football team. It's not a bad season by any stretch. However, it is below Nick Saban's standard. It is below the standard in Tuscaloosa. You win national championships. You win the SEC hand-in-hand. Hand. That's how that goes. If they don't do that, there will be a portion of this college football public saying, I told you so. Hey, didn't, didn't I tell you bad hires? Nick Saban lost his fastball, man. That's what it is. Nick Saban's lost it. And to those people, I think you just kind of turn the volume down. There's no sense in, in arguing with them. There's no reasoning to be had there. They've already found their hill they're willing to die on. That's fine. Just let it be. Another portion of the crowd, though, that when Nick Saban and, and this whole operation, if and when it works, Nick Saban, yet again, looks like the evil genius of college football. And I believe there's a very strong possibility we see him drop the mic. 
just boom. Thanks for playing college football. Hired both an, an, an OC and a DC that wasn't on the top of a lot of hot boards or wasn't college football public's pick to be my next right and left-hand man. However, yet again, Saban's process yields results. So I'm telling you, I think people should tread very, very lightly with what they're saying about Bama right now. It's very, very dangerous to give fuel to the GOAT. I think that's what's happening right now. I really do. I really do, man. I'm telling you, Nick Saban, he doesn't need more motivation. Like he's one of those individuals who just operates as one of the one percenters. Like we said, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs. I mean, you go down the list, you're just successful people. Nick Saban is cut from that same cloth. Phil Knight, like he's cut from that cloth. So the thing about one percenters, they find a way to adapt and they find a way to routinely succeed. Even when they have years like last year where, oh no, they won a New Year's Six Bowl instead of the national championship. Oh my gosh. One percenters bounce back. I would expect Nick Saban to do the same thing. Shout out to everybody watching right now in the live chat. Glad to have you part of this. Shout out to the back row of the concert, like we always say, the podcast crowd. Salute, whether, whether you uh, listen on Apple or Spotify, we're glad to have you. If you have not yet tuned in via podcast with us, we'd love to have you along for the ride there. You can find the hard count wherever you get your podcasts. But let's keep this conversation rolling, shall we? Every single year, there is a freshman quarterback that seems to pop on the radar. Whether it's a big program, whether it's a small program, whatever it is, there's always a big man on campus as QB1. So with that being said, there's a couple of names that made noise throughout the 2023 cycle that are now signed, sealed, delivered to their respective schools. And I just want to go down the list here and say, what are the odds of these individuals ending up starting one game for their respective schools? Not will they see action, not will they be the guy in, in, in long term, will they start one game as a true freshman. I also want to add another caveat. This is excluding injury. So obviously, if Quinn Ewers goes down, the conversation around Arch Manning would change quite a bit. We're going to assume, for the sake of this conversation, Quinn Ewers stays healthy throughout 2023. I think that's good for everybody, right? All right. Well, without further ado, the odds of these freshman quarterback playing, in my opinion, are as follows. For Arch Manning, the odds of him starting, in my mind, 1 through 10, 1 being unlikely, 10 being it's a sure thing, I think it's at a 2. <laughs> a 2 out of 10. To me, this year, we've said it before, this year for Arch Manning is about development. It's not about starting. Arch Manning knew that when he committed to Texas. Playing as a freshman was never the plan for him or the Manning camp. That's crucial to understand. It wasn't just Arch Manning, an 18-year-old, deciding he liked Austin and he liked the burnt orange and, yeah, he got along with Steve Sarkeesian, had a good visit. This was a full operation by the Mannings and by Arch, by everyone involved, to allow him to have the best chances to be successful at the NFL level, not just in college. Obviously, you want to succeed in college, but at the NFL level. So the reason why I think this is important to say it's going to be a two is because, like I said, nobody is expecting him to play this year. I would assume Arch is in that camp. Remember, he committed to Texas at the peak of the Queen Ewers hype train. This is before he went out and had the year he had last year, which I still think he's got a, a lot of good things in front of him, does Quinn Ewers. If Arch Manning ends up playing this year, something has gone wrong whether that's Quinn Ewers going down, and we hope, again, that does not happen, or Quinn Ewers is just playing so poorly that there is no other choice but to put Arch Manning in. I cannot stress enough. That is not the plan. That is not what you want to see as a Texas Longhorn fan. Translation, don't do the whole we want Arch chant in DKR. Don't, don't get that going. I know it might be tempting if Quinn Ewers throws an incompletion or throws an interception. Do not go down that path. For our sake, for Arch Manning's sake. If you have not yet subscribed, would love to have you a part of this. Also, follow me on the socials at JD Pakel on Twitter as well as on Instagram. Would love to hear from y'all there. Dante Moore at UCLA. The odds of him starting, I originally had at an eight. 
I watched some more Colin Schley footage from Kent State. He's transferring to UCLA. Backed off it a little bit, made it a seven. Now, Dante Moore is going to UCLA. He flipped from Oregon to UCLA because he wants to play. Like, that was one of his priorities during his recruitment, was playing as a freshman. Obviously, at Oregon, Bo Nix said, you know what, run that back, Turbo. And, no pun intended. And Dante Moore said, all right, well, I trust my abilities. I'm pretty good. I'm a five-star kind of quarterback, but Bo Nix is, is not getting beat out by a true freshman. So Dante Moore flips to Westwood and the sunshine in L.A. and playing for Chip Kelly, which is a pretty nice spot to land. Here's the things that I think are going to come into account when it comes to Dante Moore playing. Can he process that playbook quickly, which is a big thing for any college quarterback translating from the high school to the college level? Defenses are a little bit more complex. The verbiage is more complex within the offense. And then also, is the offensive line at a place where Dante Moore is the best option at quarterback? I'll just say this. Dante Moore, from a tools perspective, yeah, he's only a true freshman, but I think he probably has the best tools to be the best quarterback on UCLA's roster. Now, you can be the best quarterback, but you still may not be the best option, if that makes sense. Colin Schley, he's a dog, man. Just turn on the tape of him at Kent State. He did a lot of really good things against some Power 5 programs. I mean, dude can create with his legs. And Dante Moore, as good as he is, he is not the athlete that Colin Schley is. When the play breaks down, he gets out of the pocket. Colin Schley's just got that it factor. He's got some juice. He makes some plays in space. And the reason why I talk about that as it pertains to UCLA's offensive line, if the offensive line can't consistently give Dante Moore a solid platform to throw from, you may need Colin Schley to create. You may need Colin Schley to get some plays started. So I think Dante Moore is the best quarterback, but is he your best option? That's the question I need answered. However, him deciding on UCLA over Oregon was for him to play early. I think Chip Kelly is going to do a lot in his power to at least give Dante Moore a fair shot to start at quarterback. And I'm excited to watch that battle. So for me, Dante Moore, will he play this year? Yes. Will he start? I give it a 7 out of 10 in terms of probability that it happens. It may not be game one, but keep an eye on that October part of their schedule after they get into a little bit more of the Pac-12 meat of their schedule. I think Dante Moore will end up starting at some point for UCLA. Now, man, the myth legend, a lot of y'all that follow us here on On3, are big fans of this guy, Nico Iyamaliyava. I'm telling you, man, the pronunciation game is nice right now over here. I don't mean to toot her own horn, but I'll do it right now. The odds of him playing as a freshman, odds of him starting as a freshman, I would say, in any capacity, barring injury, I put him at a four. Now, Nico Iyamaliyava is the future of Tennessee football. He is. He's the number one player for us here at On3. Special talent, tons of ability, tons of raw ability. About six foot six, he still has more room to add mass. Believe he's right around 205. Maybe he's got up to around 210, 215, but still, that six six frame, when you get him in a college weight room for a year, he's going to add mass. When you add mass, when you get stronger in that weight room, guess what? You add more tools, if that makes sense. That twitchy ability he has, get him in a college weight room, it's a different story when he gets when he gets outside the pocket now. You hear what I'm saying? Now, the scenario where he would play is if Joe Milton, rather the Orange Bowl version of what you saw from Joe Milton, is just a flash in the pan. Because Joe Milton, when he got to Tennessee, a lot of Michigan fans will tell you, hey, bazooka for an arm. Uncle Rico can throw it over that there mountains. However, accuracy historically, maybe not his strong suit. I didn't see that from him in the Orange Bowl. I mean, my guy was dialed in. Joe Milton will be the starter going into spring ball and fall camp, I would imagine. The plan is not for Nico to play. However, if those accuracy issues arise and are the pain in Tennessee football's side and that bottlenecks what they want to do offensively, if that caps their potential, then you could see a scenario where, hey, kind of hadn't had the year we wanted to have in general. If we're Tennessee, let's let Nico cook a little bit here. So, again, similar to what I said about Arch Manning, you probably don't want Nico to play as a freshman. There is such a thing as playing too early. And I think that's what it would be for him at Tennessee. So for me, a 4 out of 10 in terms of probability, I don't think it will happen. But there is, there is a chance. 
to quote Jim Carrey. So you're saying there's a chance, but let's keep away from the we want Nico chance. All right. I think that would just be best for everybody. Last freshman quarterback I want to break down, and this is the most interesting situation I think in all the land, Jackson Arnold for the Oklahoma Sooners. The odds for him to play, in my mind, are at a 5 out of 10. So I think it's probably a little bit less than 50-50, but out of 10, we'll put out a 5. He's already enrolled. He's going to play in a system that's really quarterback-friendly for Jeff Lebby. Got a lot of tools. Good runner, strong arm. Tough as nails. I saw him play a little bit on TV at the All-American game. Uh, the Under Armour All-American game, that is. He was balling. Nice little back shoulder touchdown in that game. I don't think he's going to start game one. I'll just say that. Dylan Gabriel did a lot of good things for Oklahoma last year, as much criticism as that program got under Brent Venables in year one. Dylan Gabriel knows Jeff Levy's system. It's Dylan Gabriel's team. He's coming back for another year. I don't think it's Jackson Arnold's team game one. But I will just say this. Jackson Arnold has, the, has the, the, the type of ability, the kind of athleticism, kind of ability, where if you leave the door cracked for him, if Dylan Gabriel has a lackluster couple of games and Oklahoma drops a couple of games they're not supposed to drop, Jackson Arnold is the kind of player that will kick that door down. If you leave that door cracked, Jackson Arnold will kick it down. He's that talented. He's that competitive. He's played at a really elite high school in Denton Geyer, some of the best competition in Texas. So keep an eye on Jackson Arnold. Again, I don't think it's game one, but will he play? Will he start a game for Oklahoma? I give it a five out of 10 for me. So keep an eye on those four quarterbacks. If it's not one of these four, it'll be somebody else across the college football landscape. But these are the four that are some of the most highly touted guys in all the country, and whether they play a lot or not this year, I promise you, they are the future of college football. So definitely some names to get to know here quick, fast, and in a hurry. Shout out to the Oklahoma fan base, man. I mean, real quick, the Oklahoma Sooner fan base were one of the first fan bases to embrace us when we started this whole venture independently. I think Caleb Williams had just started a game for Oklahoma. Or maybe, no, it was after the Red River rivalry. He gets in the game against Texas, goes berserk. We do a video on it. We've been getting like a couple hundred views at a time. That video for the Caleb Williams pop-off session, I think that really helped put us on the map. So shout out to Oklahoma, man. We appreciate y'all. And uh, we appreciate what y'all have allowed us to become outside of the Oklahoma fan base as an entire operation. Now, this is a question I put on my Twitter. Again, at J.D. Pakel, contribute to the conversation there. I do segments like this all the time. And I posed the question, what is the next college football story that you want to see made into a Netflix documentary? Now, Netflix kills the game in terms of documentaries. I mean, Nick Brake, movie buff, is going to join us here in just a few minutes. I'm excited to see what he thinks about the documentary game at Netflix. But, I mean, the Manti Teo documentary was phenomenal. Uh, the, I believe there was the USC documentary on, on Netflix not too long ago, and that was, I think, by ESPN. But you hear what I'm saying. What's the next college football documentary by Netflix or ending up on Netflix? Got a lot of great responses. Got a lot of y'all talking about the 2008 Florida Gators. I think we all agree that would be extremely fascinating. Had a lot of y'all talking about future storylines that would happen. A lot of the Nebraska faithful saying the rise of Nebraska under Matt Rule. I'm here for it. I had a lot of y'all saying 2014 Ohio State. That in itself, I would watch, would pay my hard-earned money to go watch that. I got a couple of titles and storylines that I want to throw at y'all, though. So these are the documentaries and the titles that they would have and the stories that I want to see told. So the first one is Deal or No Deal, the Jaden Rashada story. Think about this. If we got to sit down with Jaden Rashada and his camp and his family and the different Gator collectives and, heck, even Arizona State, just peel back the curtain entirely and sit down and just say, hey, what happened? $13 million for a high school senior quarterback in the early phases of NIL. How did we get here? How did this become a reality? And then ending up signing the contract doesn't go through you're telling me you want to be glued to your TV for that? I'd probably just duct tape the windows, sit on my couch for the next week, and just unpack that documentary and pick it apart. Like, that is a story that I think needs to be told. 
if not just for the entertainment value, because of the, the cautionary tale I think it's going to be for a lot of us going forward in the NIL space. Teams, collectives, recruits, agents alike. This is a story that was the first public snafu, if you will, when it comes to the dangers of NIL and flying too close to the sun. Again, I don't fault Jaden Rashada. I don't fault Florida. A lot of adults in those rooms that made poor decisions. And ultimately, a contract was signed and not kept. But peeling back the curtain on that and getting deal or no deal, the Jaden Rashada story to Netflix here very soon, I think we need to have that story told at some point in the near future. Need to have that story told. Really quickly, though, if you haven't yet subscribed to this channel, we don't really do documentaries here, but this whole channel's a movie. We'd love to have you a part of it. College football community that y'all have allowed us to cultivate. Again, would love to have you a part of what we're building here. Also, follow me on the social channels, at JDPacal on Twitter as well as on Instagram. We post questions like this. I want to hear from y'all. I want to have the people involved in the show as much as possible because we are the people's program. I'll leave it at that. How about this one? The walk-on. Just chronicling Stetson Bennett. And it opens like this. The trailer goes, it's, it's some coach's voice. I don't know exactly who it is yet, but it starts with the quote, you'll never play here, son. Maybe it's Southern, maybe it's not. I don't know. But that's what Stetson Bennett was told at Georgia, more or less. Hey, we appreciate you. We appreciate you being Baker Mayfield on the scout team when we got ready for the Rose Bowl. We appreciate your willingness to show up and be a part of this program. But Stetson, man, you're not going to play here. You're not going to play here. And so he walks on, eventually walks off, goes to a JC, comes back to Georgia on scholarship, has JT Daniels, the five-star in front of him. What does Stetson Bennett do? Oh, just ends up winning the job eventually during the season. Brings Georgia their first national title in what seems like forever. And that could have been the end of the movie right there, right? Could have been Stetson Bennett rides off into the sunset. Thanks so much, Georgia. We appreciate you. Decides to come back. And Georgia fans were upset about it. Georgia fans were upset about their national title winning quarterback coming back. Now, I don't want to say the entire fan base. I just want to make sure that's clear. A segment, a fraction of the Georgia fan base was not excited about him coming back for another season. And what did he do? Just won, just won a second national title. Just ran it back. So the Stetson Bennett story. Again, walk-on, the walk-on, I think the entertainment value would sell itself. And I also would just love to sit down with Stetson Bennett and hear in depth some of the, the stories that went on behind closed doors. Some of the stories with him and coaches, stories with him and teammates. What was that quarterback meeting room like? What was it like coming back to Georgia a second time? That's a story that needs to be told. Now, you know, the stuff that comes after the credits with what his NFL career ends up being like. I'm sure that'll be a nice add-on, but his college career alone, I believe, very much so deserves a documentary. Here's another one. Life in the fast lane. I'm these, these titles are just, I don't know, Nick, maybe we need to get into script writing or something like that. Life in the fast lane, it's about Lane Kiffin. Here's Lane Kiffin's timeline in terms of what his life has been like as a coach. At 31 years old, became the youngest NFL head coach of the Oakland Raiders. What could go wrong? Hey, kid, here's an NFL franchise. Go crazy. Ends up getting fired from there. Leaves for Tennessee. And, I mean, Tennessee in itself could have its own movie. He leaves there after one year. And I kid you not, folks, people were rioting. People were starting small fires when Lane Kiffin left after one year. After a 7-6 and six season, it wasn't like he won the national title. Left after a 7-win season, people were upset. He leaves for USC, gets the USC job, and it's kind of an up-and-down year, or up-and-down career there, rather, up-and-down time there. Gets fired on the tarmac. Think about that. Think about showing up to work. Rather, think about showing up on a business trip and you're on the, the plane to go home or you're about to get in the car to go home and your boss calls you off the plane, calls you off the bus and says, hey, you know what? Uh, you're, you're fired. USC went back to Los Angeles. Lane Kiffin's bags were still on the plane. You can't make this stuff up. We need a documentary about it. From there, 
gets the Alabama offensive coordinator job. College football rehabilitation. Gets to Bama. Gets with Nick Saban. And Nick Saban, a lot of people are saying, what are you doing bringing this guy in here? Are we serious, Nick Saban? All he does, revamp the entire Alabama offense. Goes from college football pariah to eventually getting to be a, a head coach at FAU. Has success at FAU. And now, guess what? He is an SEC head coach known as the Portal King. And is having some pretty decent success at Ole Miss. So this story isn't even over, but life in the fast lane, the Lane Kiffin documentary, needs to be a reality here at some point soon. So I would absolutely watch that. Here's the last one. I think this is actually already being made, to my understanding. But how about Go Johnny Go? Johnny Menzel documentary from Kerrville, Texas. Been like a three-star recruit out of high school, was committed to Oregon, same time as Marcus Mariota, and then he actually ends up flipping to Texas A&M. Texas wouldn't even recruit him as a quarterback, like talk to him as a safety a little bit, but he was in their backyard. They didn't even recruit him. And he ends up going from an unknown talent to beating Alabama at Alabama with Cliff Kingsbury calling the offensive plays, does the iconic catch the snap, run around, bobble, throw a touchdown pass, beating Alabama at Alabama, wins the Heisman Trophy to hanging out with Drake to the autograph gate. Like, strictly the off-the-field stories in itself, some of them have kind of come out with him being on different podcasts and I guess his statute of limitations being up with the NCAA. Like, this is a story I think we need to have told. The story about him showing up to practice inebriated and then getting on the plane and going and just having a career day against Mississippi State. Like, what are we talking about here? If you were to write a movie, not a documentary, if you were to write a movie for this, the script would be rejected because they're saying that's not realistic. Appreciate you. That's too ridiculous, though. Go, Johnny, go. The Johnny Menzel story. Need that one. I think we're going to get that one, but we need that one here very, very soon. So Netflix, the ball is now in your court. We have just thrown out four. I mean, I don't know what the awards are for documentaries, but... They would win Oscars if the, uh, the movie awards hold true for documentaries. Uh, Netflix, the ball is in your court. All documentaries that we very much so need. So thank you in advance for that. Bring it on now. Man, the myth, the legend. Bill's Mafia member, pride of Owensboro, Kentucky. Cliff Kingsbury, recruit. Little known story there. We'll have to talk about that one another time. Uh, Nick Brake. Nick, how we doing, big dog? JD, I'm doing good. So uh, there is an Oscar category called Best Documentary Feature, in case you were wondering. Okay. Are, are we going to get that done, man? Like, what, how, do we, how do we submit these? I guess we got to get an actual documentary together. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to make one first. Let's, let's get some people on the phone here, because I think those all have legs. I'm pretty biased, but I think, I think those have legs. would love to see all those. Sounds good, JD. Hey, we've got some, uh, some people who did join the party there we go. Um, in the last couple of days. Uh, so we'll share a couple tweets with you. First one Sounds coming great. from at Yannick underscore CBR. How do you think Notre Dame will fare after losing Tommy Reese? I think Notre Dame will fare well because they have a lot of ingredients in-house. Like you have, we said it earlier in the show, you got Sam Hartman in-house. You have one of the most proven commodities in all of college football at quarterback. The key here is just hiring somebody to not mess that up. Bring back your stable of running backs. Bring back a lot of pieces on the offensive line. There's a lot there for Notre Dame, so I think just hiring somebody that's going to maximize Sam Hartman's abilities, if you can do that, you're in good shape. Schedule isn't kind, Notre Dame, but I think they're going to be just fine, to be honest with you. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how they go about it. If they go internal, if they go and get somebody a little more splashy, but uh, I'm excited for Notre Dame. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a ton more cool in Notre Dame than I was before the Tommy Reese departure for Alabama. Great question, though. Yeah, Great absolutely. question by Yannick, bringing the heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this next question at DJ underscore DJ Alexander Zero um, is yours on a short leash. DJ Khaled. Is Quinn Ewers on a short leash? It's fair to ask. I don't feel that way. I think there is high pressure for him because you have so much coming back. B. John Robinson is the only piece you lose from that offense. So 10 returning starters. There's going to be expectations for them to do something this year. Is he on a short leash? I don't think so. I don't know if there's somebody that you're really looking for besides Arch Manning that's in-house there. Now, some of you would 
maybe push back on that and say we want we want you know to see uh, Malik get in the game and you want want to see him start. I, I hear that, but truly, I think that Quinn Ewers gives you the best chance to win football games. So you live with Quinn Ewers, you die with Quinn Ewers, and the reality is, if you were to go somewhere that's not Quinn Ewers, let's say you do go Arch Manning. Let's say Arch Manning gets the keys game five. What are your expectations then? Then it has to be, okay, let's revamp. Let's give Arch Manning some time to get right. Let's allow him to kind of go through this acclimation process. I think it's Quinn Ewers' team until something catastrophic happens, and you would obviously hope that doesn't happen for Quinn Ewers. So uh, is he on a short leash? I don't really think so, but there is definitely some big things expected in Austin, and rightfully so. So to answer that question, I, I don't think so, truthfully. I don't think so. Okay, J.D., well, that's all I've got, man. Beautiful. Yep. Beautiful. Well, Nick, I appreciate you holding it down, man, and I appreciate you producing this thing best in the game. Netflix, the ball is now in your court. We've given you some documentaries, answered some spring questions, provided more spring questions, talked about quarterbacks that may or may not play as true freshmen, but we are so grateful to have you all a part of this and so grateful that y'all routinely tune in. I know that there's not games being played, but you and I both know we're diehards. College football lifers, the game don't stop. And so we don't either. We will be back on air, of course, tomorrow with one-off content. But we'll be back on air live on Thursday. Make sure you're locked in. Make sure you have notification bell set. Tell a friend. Be a friend. Subscribe. All that in a bag of chips. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep the party rolling. And we will see y'all next time. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.